0: Ahoy and welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth.
1: The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. So, Phil, today we're excited to welcome David Sheckman to the Sea Captain Way podcast. David is an executive coach at Evolution who works with CEOs, high potential leaders, and successful sales professionals on mastering deep change. David has over two decades of experience in executive coaching, organizational consulting, and leadership team advisory work. He challenges clients to push beyond self-imposed limitations to change the world for the better. David's experience includes working with companies such as Slack, Twitter, Coursera, Paylocity, Collective Health, Northwestern Mutual, ADP, and the Entrepreneurs' Organization. Welcome, David.
0: Welcome, David. So good to be with you.
1: Yeah. So how do you two know each other, Phil? How did we get lucky and get somebody of David's caliber booked on the Sea Captain Way podcast?
0: Right. Well, it's mainly because he could be my younger brother. We do have a doppelganger type look here. He chose the same hairstyle that I have. (laughs) And uh, so I'm always impressed by people who admire my well coiffed do. (laughs) But actually, David and I go back, gosh, 25 years probably. And his uh, father was my executive coach and uh, and his stepmother as well. And uh, they were instrumental in the development for Lisa and I way back in the day. And so David and I met as he was getting started and my gosh, David, what you've done since we met the first time is truly awesome. So it's really great to have you today.
2: Thank you, Phil. I really appreciate that. And uh, I just want to add a little bit in answer to that question. At the risk of sounding ingratiating, uh, I'm not sure that my bio would read that way without your graciousness and desire and openness to invite me in to work with you and your organization in about 2001 or so. Yeah. So I'm very grateful uh, for the chance you took on engaging me and I'm very excited to be here with you today.
0: Well, thanks, buddy. And it's about time you recognize that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just that fun.
2: I shaved my head. I'm trying to look like you. I mean, I guess it finally had to come out, right? I finally had to admit it.
0: Eventually, right? Well, let's get started. You know, your, uh, your bio says that you work with CEOs, high potential leaders that we know, and successful sales professionals on mastering this concept of deep change. Okay. Can you expand on what that means, mastering deep change, and why you take this approach to working with your clients?
2: Absolutely. The term deep change was first coined, or at least the first time I came across it. It was coined and popularized by an author named Robert Quinn. Wrote a pretty big book of the same name, and I think it was the mid-90s. It was very successful and embraced by a lot of people, and it really helped frame in my mind Key issues around change. So, just to think of it very simply, if someone is looking to do a little bit more or a little bit less of something, that's incremental change. It's not irrelevant, it's not useless, it's something we all do most of the time, but it's different than deep change. Deep change is transformational work, it's letting go of the past, embracing the future, it's getting out of deeply ingrained patterns. That can often keep us stuck or just continue to deliver the same results. And most importantly, it can be disorienting and quite frightening. So, this is work that I think at one time, certainly around the era that you and I first engaged, Phil, was important to do on a routine basis or even on a kind of annual, semi annual basis. But I think the world has really shifted now to the point where deep change is table stakes for being effective in the economy that we've got. So I do think that there really is a case in the world we, that we live in now, the business world, even other parts of the society that we're in, where deep change is really essential to be able to master. Personally, for me, I could be doing other work in different areas, but I really like deep change. It feels like it's in my soul. It's why I was put on the earth And it really attracts me to those sorts of opportunities. So I found myself working with entrepreneurs, individuals, groups, and large organizations where that kind of change is not just something that can help people stay competitive, but it's really essential ingredient to being active in the environment.
0: Wow. Well, that's a mouthful right out of the gate and inspiring to boot. What do you think about that, Greg?
1: Well, could you, is there an example you could share of this type of deep change? you've watched someone accomplish?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let me start with some examples uh, that are familiar to work that both Phil and I have done. We both have had a lot of experience of working with successful salespeople and sales leaders who are in dynamic organizations. And when I first came on the scene, the way the people were successful was to find a sort of niche that would be a good foot in the door and a way to really establish some sort of consistent business. And then you could really grow that in an organized and pretty straightforward approach. It was never easy, but it felt pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward. And people were able to lock onto a product or maybe a suite of products that seemed to be very meaningful to people. And then that became a touchstone for success. Certainly in today's environment now, People are coming into the same role of working in financial services, being advisors, but the career that they're literally in is transformationally different 10, 12 years into the business. They start in one way of thinking of themselves, establishing themselves in the business, looking at the marketplace, and oftentimes are in completely different businesses by the time they find their footing, and then transformationally in totally different walks of life by the time they're veterans in that work. That cannot happen just through studying material, reading information, going to lectures, seminars, and watching videos. That requires a deep interpersonal transformation, requires people to look at themselves differently Mm -hmm look at the marketplace Mm -hmm. differently, show up in ways that are profoundly different. And that's an exciting journey, a terrifying journey, at times a disorienting journey, but it's ultimately very lucrative if you're able to do that well. And so the partnership of the coaching and advisory work is helping people look at that and understand what's really required for them and how to make sense and meaning of the journey.
1: That's right. Yeah, well said. There's a level of intensity involved, which is going to kind of segue me over to the next question. So your website says that as part of your coaching philosophy, you agree with NYU professor Scott Galloway's quote, and I'm going to read this, make sure I get it right. Capitalism is full body contact violence at a corporate level so that we can create prosperity and progress that rests on a bed of empathy. So, I uh, rarely use this term, but I'm going to have to ask you to unpack that for us because that is a supercharged statement.
2: Well, first of all, intensity runs in my blood, uh, <laughs> and Phil, Phil would know that for sure. Yes. The apple did not fall too far from the tree. I try to soften that up with some humor and levity from mm-hmm. time to time, but, you know, absolutely, I can bring the heat So it's no uh, surprise that I'm attracted also to thought leaders and ideas that have that kind of burning Mm -hmm. bright energy and nature uh, Mm -hmm. and radiance to them. So to me, I don't want to get too much on a soapbox here, but I really believe that this quote speaks to what's possible, the ability, the capacity for our society. I think that we live in a world of way too much either or thinking. My experience is that a lot of people, maybe even most people, would say that one half of that quote makes sense. They would say, business is tough. Get over it. I don't know. I think capitalism can be really cruel if we're not careful. I think we need to guide it. I think we need to put have some intentionality around that, some consciousness and some guardrails. Mm-hmm. At times, or people would look at the other side and say, We all need to get along. We need to be happy. We need to make everybody comfortable. If that were to happen, we would cease to have innovation and growth mm-hmm. and new opportunities for ourselves and our future generations. I think the reality is we need to create a space where we can hold both together. We can have business meetings and experiences and products and services that mix it up, that create the chance for arguing, debating, pushing each other to our limits, adapting to change, really testing ourselves with what Mm -hmm. we can do and how we can show up. And at the same time, we need to make sure that the work we do serves a higher purpose, serves society, creates opportunities, doesn't just pull the ladder up once we've gotten to the top rung. We can live in a world where we can have both, and I think that the dynamism that's a part of a lot of the places that I work and where Sea Captain, coaching and consulting works, these are often the laboratories where this type of work happens, and I find that not only fascinating and rewarding and lucrative, I also think this is important for our society, we need to be tough and we need to be caring. And I think it's possible to do both. And I think when people really go through deep change to tie it back to that concept, they create the capacity for all of that to occur. You cannot go through deep change without learning humility. Mm -hmm. Once you have humility, I think you can see the struggles that other people go through and the opportunities for supporting and helping them. And then I think you can decide, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to challenge the status quo. I'm going to push the people around me to their limits because that's the right thing to do. And that's the way that I can make a mark on society.
0: Mm-hmm. So good, David. That is everything that I, I felt. I, I heard a little bit of your dad and a lot of you. <laughs> and, and that's uh, really a cool uh, statement because when I talk about my coaching, I say that I'm thoughtful but direct. And that it's interesting because that speaks to both of those elements that you just share. Right. And so Absolutely. can you be thoughtful, caring, but also drive your agenda, drive the next stage of development and growth, and which is a part of leadership. Mm-hmm. So very, very cool. God, I'm having a good time <laughs> listening to you today.
1: Well, the bare knuckle <laughs> nature of that reminded me is that, was it was Mike Tyson that said Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the nose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So, That's a- so C Captain Coaching, we work with clients to help them gain clarity around their vision, mission, core values. In your coaching practice, you mentioned in a previous conversation with us that you focus on helping your clients better understand and articulate their essence. What distinguishes this approach from more traditional professional development coaching areas of focus?
2: That is a great question. And let me start off by talking a bit more about essence. Essence is not a, con- or is not a construct, an intellectual construct. It is not an exercise you go through. It can't in some ways ever really be reduced statement or a term or a paragraph. Essence is really the core identity of who a person is. And what's funny is when I often bring this up, people will say something to the effect of like, well, why would I need you to tell me that? Or why would I need to hire somebody to come in and talk about essence? And what I feel like I've discovered, and maybe you've seen this in your work too, Phil, is most people don't know what their essence is. You know, they may have some sense of what it is that, you know, has come to them at various moments throughout their lives. Sometimes in crisis, people get a sense of their essence because they stop thinking so much about everything and they just do what they believe is correct or appropriate. But most people don't really have a good sense of what essence is. So what they end up doing is following the herd or finding somebody or something to glom onto or connect to, someone to work for, how to be a pair of hands for somebody else. Mm. And then they are presented with an exercise that says, tell me your vision, talk about your values, what's your mission on this planet. And without a real sense of themselves, without really knowing who they are and what they stand for and What they are, kind of what's at the core when you strip away everything else, they end up going through what feel like hollow academic exercises. Mm -hmm. They're sort of just answering the question in ways that sound socially acceptable. And it all, it might even, sometimes it just doesn't even hold together. I mean, I've read stuff where I just look at it and I say like, I don't even know what this means. Or it's just empty platitudes. And so I do not really see the traditional approach as being awful or misguided. I just think it's missing the most important part, which is where I try to start, but, and not only with individuals, but also with organizations. I think organizations have an essence too. Sometimes it's defined by the founder or by right. the early leadership team, but you can really get to that part of a person or part of an organization that's hard to describe, but you know, the feeling of it, that's when you've really gotten to something meaningful.
0: That's good stuff. And so much so I talk, Greg, you know, this from our work together about getting clarity of mission, not till I was 45 years old, because that was the time when I was backed up against the wall as a leader, it wasn't working. And I had to say, what am I going to do every day, regardless of what is happening around me and live that essence every day, meet somebody new, hear their story, help them put their puzzle together and walk with them to their destination. That all evolves out of essence. And so really, really cool reflection for me, but know that I was 45 and in leadership at the top of the food chain before I ever got that clarity.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So David, we first started to discuss the topic of essence with you. I thought it was going to be in the same realm as the famous Simon Sinek Ted talk about starting with the fundamental question of why you do what you do. And after I said that your comment was that type of why conversation is a basic version of the concept of identifying your essence. So what makes Your essence framework, different than Cynic's why framework?
2: Yeah. First off, I want to give a lot of props to Simon Cynic. I've had the absolute pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. We've spoken together at conferences, and he's just an incredible Mm -hmm. thought leader. And he put a lot of this work on the map for much of the the global business Mm -hmm. world. So I feel very indebted to him. And I think that the why conversation at a kind of headline level is important. And, and it's crucial for people to understand and, and to kind of have that orientation and how they think about their work and how they proceed. But, for example, if I stop and I think about what's my why as an individual, I could say I really love to develop leaders and organizations. I really love the company, the organization, evolution that I'm a mm-hmm. part of. I love to make a difference in, in people's lives. I'm trying to earn a lot of money. I've got big ambitions and want to do a lot of stuff in my life. So what's my why? I, mean, I just, it's
0: mm-hmm. all that,
2: right? I mean, it's kind of hard to narrow that down to just one thing. I don't want to do that if I'm not making money. I don't want to make a lot of money if I'm not impacting life. So it just, to me... If we leave it at that sort of like kind of amorphous level, it ceases to have a lot of impact. So the way to think about essence on a deeper level, and I'm glad we already brought it up in the previous conversation, is I love to think of, I'm going to bring another author in here, James Hillman. He passed away a number, I think it was about 10 years ago. And he, is author, ran a a number of Jung, Carl Mm -hmm. Jung Institutes. So uh, really into that, that school of psychology. Mm-hmm. And he came up with something called the acorn theory, and he applied that to people. And so if you plant an, or- an acorn in the ground and there's a decent amount of soil, you water it, sunlight, some nutrients, it's going to grow into an oak. Didn't grow into an oak because I went to a training seminar. <laughs> it didn't grow into an oak because a bunch of people showed up and said, <laughs> you can do it. It grew into an oak because it manifested its true nature. That's right. It has a DNA, a code mm-hmm. in it. And it was able to absorb the nutrients in the environment and become its best self. And to me, essence is what that means for a person. Like, for example, I have always loved presidents. Now, I don't mean the specific people holding the office—some I've loved, some I haven't—but I've always loved that office. Now, remember talking to my parents, both my parents and step-parents, and everyone. Did anyone ever teach me about this or sit me down and tell me it was an important thing to do? No, like, no one ever did that. I was naturally attracted to that. I gravitated to that into politics. Was never something that was—I was programmed in me. And so I have had a very strong affinity for that topic and it has grown through me. And so I think this is a really important way to look at helping in developing people and even organizations. We talk about this in my organization. What is the manifestation of our essence? And, you know, that I think it's easy for that to sound like kind of hippie, you know, yeah. sort of unhinged dialogue, doesn't go anywhere. What does it mean? I'll tell you where it helps us is not chasing dollars that are going to undermine our brand and drag us down and disorient us in the marketplace or turn us into greedy folks. It helps us from bringing people into the organization who would compromise our culture, get in the way of what we're trying to accomplish. And when we really do think of our organization in those terms, what's our essence, how do we take the next step and bring in this to life, it helps us go with the current as opposed to against it.
0: interesting. So what would be an example or two of how your clients are able to harness this power? Get specific for a second. What ways do you think this comes up?
2: And I'm really happy that you mentioned the word power because, For me, that's what essence unlocks, is true power. And I think a lot of people struggle with, like, what does power mean? Does power mean that I can just fire people? Or does power mean that, like, I can do what I want whenever I want? That might be a really naive and narrow view of it. But the best definition I've come across is clear, being very clear accessing resources that other people value so if you don't know who you are and you're not clear on what you're trying to bring forward in your personal professional financial lives it's really hard to embrace your power so when i because you can't really think of what do i have that other people offer you think what can i do that's going to serve somebody else's short-term need. So a couple of examples here, I've got a client, a corporate executive in kind of a mature tech firm and has been in what a lot of people would look at as an incredibly positive position. I mean, when most people who certainly are not in the tech world look at someone who's a corporate executive there, they just think, look at all the growth and the visibility and the impact and the reward. It's just phenomenal. But if you're not careful, you can really get chewed up and spit out in those environments. They're very demanding and very challenging for people to work through. The reward tends to be high, but the price can just be miserable to folks. And so I am working with someone who it's been a long-term coaching relationship, feel great about that. And over time, she's disclosed to me that her true belief about how she shows up at work is that she needs to work twice as hard to go half as far mm-hmm. as everyone else. So guess what? That makes her unbelievably astute, dependable, hardworking mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. They're cracking on, working as late as anybody, answering messages overnight. I mean, th- all those sorts of Behaviors that a lot of people look at and think, well, that's what you do. That's what you have to do if you want to be successful. It's like shoveling dirt on her essence. Hmm. So, for a lot of the coaching, we were trying to figure out how to get ahead in that environment, which was just moving her farther and farther away from who she truly was, what would truly deliver a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. So Knowing that, we were able to make some very different decisions around how to engage your current situation, how to look towards the future, and what to really think about in terms of the key drivers for decision-making.
1: So, Phil, I think we've got time for one more question. And I did want to ask David that one of the core tenets of Phil's team's coaching approach is getting clients to embrace CEO mindset. And this includes putting a process in place for accountability. Your firm's website says that evolution helps its clients create structure and accountability that executives often lack. What's typically missing from the equation on this front in your experience?
2: That's a fantastic question.
1: To me, I'll give you a
2: very straightforward answer and I want to build it Mm -hmm. out a little bit and explain it. Leadership is not a set of behaviors. It's not a checklist. I wish it were a checklist sometimes, but it's not a checklist. There's just no script to how to be an effective leader. Every time you think you've figured out success in one area, the challenges pop up Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And so there's no way to get to a steady state in leadership. And I think even though it can feel like that's the case sometimes, it just means you're not, the issues haven't emerged or you're not really looking. So... I love a book. I've thrown a lot of authors out Mm -hmm. here in the podcast, but a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Mm -hmm. And I just love the thesis of the book. And so he will say, first off, let me just say a word or two about Ben Horowitz. He was a tech founder, launched a lot of successful companies, and now is one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the biggest VC firms on the planet, real mover and shaker in the global economy. His thesis is that most books are written for leaders who want to avoid dealing with challenges. His book is written for leaders who are in challenges and have no way out and have to figure the path on their own. So I think that really captures the way leaders operate today. Now, it's great to have training. I love models. I think I've got a pretty decent intellect, and I love to explore and come up with all sorts of geometric shapes and concepts and ways to describe them and share those frameworks Mm -hmm. with people. But when folks are in a significant challenge, most of that stuff doesn't really work. So an example here just to share from some of my background is when I was in grad school, I studied organization development. And for anybody who knows the field of OD, one of the very first tools that he brought into the business world was something called a T group. And I think maybe it stands for training group, but no one ever remembers the original name. It's just T group. And it's meant to really strip away a lot of the artifice or the structures that show up in people's situation. So let let me give you an example. We decided we were going to, we subdivided in our larger cohort into these small groups of about seven people. We had a faculty facilitator and we were told we were going to be in these groups for about two and a half days. So we were going off to these secluded little meeting areas and our facilitator was gonna take us through. So we were you know, a little nervous, but excited about what was coming. It sounded fun, sounded interesting. So we gathered, we sat down, and a faculty member, I remember Professor Worley, he leaned forward, put his hands together, and he said, begin. And we kind of nervously looked around and said, begin what? <laughs> yeah like what are the instructions? And he said, begin. So when people will say, why can't you meditate? All you're doing is nothing. Why is that so hard? And for those, you know, of us who meditate a lot or have tried to meditate a lot, that's one of the hardest things to do is nothing. So we were freaking out. We're a bunch of like high achieving graduate students. We're trying to do a good job. We want to please the, whoever the authority is. And we can't figure it out because we don't know what the hell to do. Yeah. And we don't know who we are without an assignment and a right, role right, and a target. So we had to, so I won't tell you the full story. The first two hours were just unbearable, like people were screaming and getting up and storming out of the room. It sounds ridiculous, but in the moment, not having that kind of external clarity made it so hard to know who we were. So what we finally figured out was the assignment was to figure out who we were.
1: Wow.
0: That's so (laughs) good. Very so,
1: zen.
2: I think that's a really good metaphor for being a leader in the contemporary world that we're living in is there are signposts, there are guidelines, but nobody really knows what's coming and nobody really knows what to do. So it's time to get clear on who we are, what we stand for, what we're trying to accomplish, and then go find what we need.
0: So good, David. Oh my gosh, that's a great way to end up here, Rob. Thanks for so much for being on today. Very special. And your clarity, your essence, (laughs) there I said essence, your essence of just being clear, concise and giving perspective is powerful. How does uh, someone get in touch with David Sheckman?
2: Yeah, that's great. Certainly our website for my company where I'm a partner, is evolution.team, so dot T-E-A-M. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that my email address is in your show notes. So I, I don't want to share that on air, but let, let me put those into the, or have you put those sure. in the show notes. And we we'll look forward to connecting with people who are interested
1: in talking more.
0: We'd love to have you back another time. I'd love it too.
1: Thanks, David. Thanks so again, many great brain. things to think about. I might have a brief existential crisis here for just a few moments with all this thing to think about, but... I'll have the Sea Captain pull me back on board. So thanks again. Yeah. It was great chatting. Thanks a lot, Thank guys. Thank you, my friend.
0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Wave Podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite
1: podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wishing you
0: fair winds and a following sea on your journey.